This is TV8 My Tanner, a podcast about entertainment issues brought to you by DarkCrazy.com. Because of the end of civilization, the Clamp Cable Network now leaves the air. We hope you have enjoyed our programming, but more importantly, we hope you have enjoyed life. My dinner. My name is Sean. I'm sitting here with Brooks, and we have another special guest star with us here tonight. I don't know if I'd Hello. say special, <laughs> special oh. in that in that way. You know, this is Andrew, who is with us tonight. He's uh, our good friend. Andrew is with us. He's a famous singer for a, a, an awesome rock band called Bell's Wake. Yeah, the most interesting man in the world. That's awesome. <laughs> That is a good moniker. He is, in fact, the second most interesting man in the world behind that Dos Equis guy. Yeah, exactly. But that was tough. That was tough. He speaks Spanish. Greg is not with us tonight, so um, hopefully Andrew will be able to take his place. Andrew, I've got some tip. If you want an edge on this Dos Equis guy, I've got a tip for you. What? Think of this. The Reverend Andrew. The Reverend Andrew? Very easy stuff. I went on this morning online. I got ordained as a minister. Totally for free. Really? Yes. Really? Oh, man. I want to do that. So I am the Reverend Sean. See how that sounds so much more awesome? I totally want to do that. Is this for real? Yeah. I can marry people. And I can I can do last rites. I can baptize people. I can do funeral rites. And the, the website didn't say so, but I'm pretty sure if I wanted to, I could make holy water now. <laughs> What church Pretty is this sure. with? Though? I just got to go understand. with the deal. Like if I can baptize people, then surely I can bless a bucket of water. If I can, if I can send someone's soul to heaven, can you? Um, if I can absolve people of their sins, that's another thing I could. They didn't mention that. That's I should ask them. They're non-denominational. I don't know how they feel about that. Interesting. But I can absolve sins, and I'm le- I can legally start a church now. So you'd think yeah, we that know, would be. We okay. know somebody that's done that too. Yeah, people, it's like the guy that married our friends, actually. Yeah, yeah I thought of him of deal. just today when I was thinking about that, because because that's exactly the reason I did it. You're like, I really yeah, that guy so can I do can it. Because I'm trying to, I'm vying for a position in in a, in a wedding that's coming up. So there's no name of the church then. It is uh, the Universal Life Church <laughs> Monastery. <laughs> Sounds like it's on the up and up, right? It's like Neil Board's the the high. What is it? The Church uh, of Universal Church of the Painful the Truth. Painful truth yeah. Well, I went. I went, came very close to the Jedi Church, just because that's funnier. But then I didn't. I didn't know if I would have the credibility to try to marry people if if I was illegally a, a Jedi. Is the Jedi Church free? Because if so, I say do both. I, I don't know. Universal Life Church is free, although I did pay thirty bucks for a minister kit so I can have a wallet card <laughs> and a plaque. You get a little collar too in the mail. <laughs> or just make one. I think if yeah. you're in a situation like this, you could just invent the ministerial outfit. Like, oh yeah, these are these are the accoutrements of, of my trade. Well, I'm totally impressed. I'm a universal life minister of the Church of Monasteries. 
Oh, we got to get on this. I know. I mean, how handy. <laughs> That's what it takes away from it instantly. When you tell people that, they think it's cool for a second, and then they all go, I should do that. Like, And then it's not special yeah, anymore. Then. Well, you should just lie. Don't tell us how you did it. <laughs> exactly. It would sound better if I didn't tell you I just did it online. I could go, well, I am a minister of the Universal Life Church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would like to become a captain of a ship, but then we'd have to go out on a boat for me to marry you legally. You're on track to become the next Elron Hubbard. <laughs> yeah, I get he was professional in over what is it like a hundred different professions? <laughs> of a hundred professional professions. Yeah, well, uh, such as art and photography and, <laughs> and philosophy of, of soul searching. He's a master seaman. He could captain any ship. Now, <laughs> is that a real one? No, we, yeah, we found like a a weird Scientology on YouTube one time. They had a like an intro, like that somebody must have like took a camera into their little orientation, and it's the funniest thing in the world because it's the whole it's their whole orientation, and it's like some seventies. It starts out them like showing all the different worship centers, and they have and it's like the the Star Center in L.A. and then it's like dun dun dun. It's like a Magnum PI intro or something. <laughs> And it's like the free wind. It's their yacht. It's their mobile. <laughs> it's like a Team America, but it's like Team Scientology. That's the best ever. That's and, and not not to say that I would throw in with that lot, but that sounds like the way I'd do it. I'd come sounds out like on, on wires with like 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 Dio, yeah, <laughs> with like pyrotechnics going off. That's the best. He wants me to radio out of a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm totally jealous. I don't have yeah. anything special. Once John smiled at someone and they lost the gift of sight. Not not a good miracle, but still, you, that's sort of supernatural. I want to be like a cardinal or something in that church. Can is there are there higher? I don't posts think they available? have any ranks. Can be the pope. It took me ten minutes to become a minister. I don't think there there's an upper rank. What if you had spent twenty minutes? <laughs> yeah, really. You could have been the pope of the United Universal Church of Life and Science. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I think I make everything up. I heard a story real quick before we we talk about anything of import. I heard a story on um, you get plenty of time on um, all things considered just today. I mean, just like an hour ago, and it it really got me kind of thinking and kind of miffed. And it was about this new industry that's rising up around around your your net your social networking. That everyone has now. Everyone has the Facebook, the My MySpace, the Facey Space. You know. Yeah, I've seen the commercials. Um, they have these new a new business that that basically is there so that when you die, this business you can tell this business what to do with all of your social networking entities. Oh, what? Because I have to tell you apparently though, a problem. I gotta tell you, this is a real issue. Because you remember when when we a friend of ours actually did pass away, and that became a big concern of everybody is like who how to get into like like it mattered, but I mean it was like people's were like well, how do you get into that's this? That's exactly and, my point. It's that yeah, there is that concern that people apparently have, but yeah, like it mattered. That's what's bothering me is that I mean this is like a for real where people are ha- writing into their will, literally writing into their will who gets to take over their Facebook account. And I was like, don't, don't you know. guys have, like, I mean, it seems like they'd be, is life boiled down to your Facebook Is that account? what it is? You actually will 
someone as your the executor of you, your MySpace. You, you can. That does sound. And there's lame. these other businesses that just store all of your passwords, and and you and they will take your last. I guess you tell them what you want done with them, like who you want to have uh, access could, to them when I you die. I can see that for the same reason. But well, that I seems would, more sensible than the other. But yeah, at the same the time, if it were me, I would at least think it was worthwhile to have something where someone would come in and just post that you were gone. Because I we had some awkward moments with, you know, with Bert where we did some like tribute videos on YouTube and people would message in YouTube and go, you know, oh my God, is he dead? And you then that, your that was, yeah, <laughs> that was how you know, we had to tell them. I no, guess, weird, but it bothers me. Even know. It bothers me that it that Facebook has become so important to people that that is a concern at all when they've when when they're thinking about dying. Like, oh, if I'm dead, I don't, what's going to happen to my Facebook well, account? Like, well, God, I mean, there are bigger, there are much bigger things you should be thinking about. Who cares? Well, but uh, but for you though, but for a lot of people, I mean, not me, but for a lot of people, maybe they like not me. have a bunch of friends on there. Not Andrew. that actually. That they never actually meet. I mean, we're not the type of people really to do that, but I assume they can have a lot of people. Here's the thing. I think there's some truth to that. I think there's like going into the 21st century that, that that's sort of forward thinking because so many people do have sort of a presence outside of their everyday lives that if you disappeared, and I've thought about this, you know, and even in little things like this show, like where you know, we maintain a correspondence with people just in the context of doing this show, how awkward it would be if someone just kind of disappeared. You wouldn't be on that list of people who'd get a call. They just disappear. You know, I think that's forward thinking. For, I, I mean, I, morbid, maybe ghoulish a little at this point. But at the but, same time, if your only contact with people is through a website it, and you're not close enough to any of their friends or any of their real life people to know that they've died, then... You know, it might not even be that much of a concern of yours. You know what I mean? Well, I, I well, people, see that people take this stuff. Yeah, people take this stuff seriously. It's like well, that's, that one story that's where what the I'm time, saying, you know, about the guy in the World of Warcraft or whatever, yeah. and the, their friend died. On yeah, that. they mentioned that. No, in I mean, today's that's story. The only, yeah, that's the only way they know him. And then they had like a funeral, but then these other guys came and ambushed them while they're having their <laughs> funeral and like killed them all. So. I mean, it's really <laughs> awful. But <laughs> but still kind of funny, even though it's an awful. That's an awful story, but. I it just, don't know, it's awful because people are horrible. But I think there is a sort of duality in the, in the digital world. I'm a big believer in the digital world as long as people don't get lost in it. But the, that sort of duality where, yes, you have your real life and your real life takes precedence. But I think you do know people one way or the other, you know, through MySpace or stuff or like – or say like this show or whatever, you know. And when you're lucky, you can sort of broaden those those – acquaintances so you actually do know them in real life but even if you don't i think if you have a connection to people even slight you know even if it's conversational it still feels strange that you could just disappear and they would never even know what happened having you know a sort of way to post for that for that other digital world you know this person is no more at the very least, saves them like sending IM messages to like your parents while they're trying to clean out your computer. You know, I suppose yeah, it, it does seem a little silly now, but I mean, in ten years it probably won't. I mean, or like three years ago, four years ago, we thought podcasts were silly. Yeah. Literally ten still, years. Yeah, look at them. <laughs> ten years ago, well, podcasts are silly. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, they always a, are silly, but I mean, I'm a hypocrite of podcasts because yeah. I listen to none. <laughs> like I do mine. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I listen to that one. <laughs> that's it. But at the same time, 10 years ago, I was convinced that the internet was a fad. You know, and that's how far we've grown now. The, the idea of not having the internet on hand is actually debilitating to me for some of the things that I like to do, this podcast being one of them. You know, I keep up with people through the internet now that I don't see in any other way. It has become real to an extent, and it's growing to become more and more real. I used to be afraid that people were going to lose themselves in it, and it was like The Sims and all this kind of crap, but it seems like for the most part, people are always able to, to navigate that divide. And I think if that's always true, then that's a good thing. Well, I'm just. But it does create considerations that never had to exist before. I guess I'm just weird. But I, I find it because they were saying, you know, well, who's going to be able to access your email after you die? And I'm thinking, what what difference does it make? You, yeah, have really. you ever, if you could read my email right now, you would see that it's got nothing of importance. I in know. It. I when, when I am dead, I'm going to be less interested in the, the enlargement of my penis, even less than, than I, I am, am now. now. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to read your stupid crap when you're gone? It's sort of like your real mail. You know, I don't read my mail now. My phone is always unplugged. Most of my emails get deleted without ever reading them. And I just I don't think worry that's the real concern. That. I just think the notification to, you know, to those outward friends that you are not here. That's to me the thing. You need some kind, some kind of just posted thing to say, you know, stop emailing or whatever. Or this is what happened to so and so. Sometimes too, if they pay for services and stuff. You have like online things that you pay for. Yeah. I oh yeah, that, that would be even sense. better. Like if you. they did that, go out and actually start killing those automatic, you know, deductions. All right. Well, never mind. I don't think it's weird that you find that weird. Okay. That's Seems weird. Like you guys. It's weird. That but it I'm I'm just weird. saying I kind of see that in in light of some of the things that we have seen, because you know with in, in that our personal experience that became one of the things that people focused on it's like how do how do we get into his myspace and it's still there you know they maintain that you know in memoriam that's people draw comfort in the strangest things you don't want to complicate the world to to, to where those comforts aren't available i suppose that's true but it kind of bothers me and i'm just being an old fogey here it just kind of worries me how it's becoming a very important part of your identity, how you're online. Cause I don't even have a MySpace or Facebook and that's intentional because I, I prefer my anon, anonymity. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But, <laughs> and not a minimentity, but, um, well, you're on the run. <laughs> and, um, I, I, my anonymous manatees. Yeah. My manatees. I like, I like to be, I like the fact that I'm in an enemy, but, um, so, but other people that it's so important to them that it's perhaps a consideration that you'd want to put into your will. That just blows my mind. You know, who cares? Well, yeah, I don't have a will of any kind. That seems like, but I, I do feel like that's not, that's something I wouldn't want someone having to mess with in that Well, what I'm, what I'm saying is why would anyone need to mess with it? I mean, you, because we have a digital footprint do. now. We, in this world... You know, there there are there's our lives, and there's a whole separate world that we live in. You know, well, we that's have a the digital part footprint. That's kind of freaking me out. You know that there's. But you're part of that. You you're on a podcast. You know, you have a presence too. Yeah, but if you I know, were you to, may not do you know, get kidnapped by aliens or something, you guys would tell the fans, I guess that you know I got kidnapped by aliens. 
What happens this, if all three of us get kidnapped by aliens? At the same time, I well, they're I not don't even know. affected by holy water. My powers won't work against them. I think what y'all need to do is record an emergency podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's in yeah, the really, case of a, yeah. in the event. I'm, if you are hearing this, we are dead or abducted. We'll leave it with uh, Andrew or or Lynn or Madougal and give them the the password so they can yeah, post it. That's where we break. Oh, that's a good idea. We break out the secondary TV at my dinner school. Yeah, yeah. like the alternates. Like, I don't want you to feel alternates like you're secondary you to guys us. are the I B just, team. You, you've got to keep the torch burning. But you're the leader of B team. <laughs> Did you ever see Gremlins 2 where they take oh, over the building and remember. John Glover just breaks out these tape? And he's like, I was I was hoping I'd never have to play this. And it's like, uh, due to the end of civilization, <laughs> the Clamp Broadcasting Network will no longer be on the air. <laughs> that would be us. Due to an unforeseen apocalypse, this is the last episode of TV Ate My Dinner. Here are your instructions to drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you hear, I am not actually dead. Yeah. yeah don't believe them when they Our tell you. Our rendezvous point is. That's the Andy Kaufman, you know, always leave them wanting more. I don't care what you saw. Keep fighting. And now, silent running. You remember that song, Mike and the Mechanic? I do. I remember it well. Just that's that's what I want them playing at my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see to that. Can you hear me run? It's on record now, so if you if you do pass away, <laughs> count on it. This is this is your will and testament. I'm not sure your mom will appreciate <laughs> oh my God, it. God, I should record that tonight. Just me, yeah. just sitting, standing in front of a flag, silent <laughs> running, and nothing else. <laughs> Goodbye, world. Pledge allegiance to the flag, whatever flag they offer. All right, then. So what are we going to talk about? a weird song, man. You know, of actual importance. Speaking of conspiracies against us, I guess that's sort of apropos to the the topic at hand. Yeah, we have a couple of interesting, I find find them interesting. Um, They're not conspiracies. They're just kind of strange strange well they could be conspiracies i could see conspiracy in some of these let's start with the merlin thing since that's something that we're all familiar with i mean the fans might not be but um all three of us yeah the I, wizard <laughs> the wizard hey <laughs> i think there's a show here because when i was re- when i was looking at merlin prophecies on google i found a lot of stuff about the quote-unquote real merlin oh the real wizard and yeah, the actual wizard, yeah. because wizards are real. <laughs> but apparently this is something going on. You can't think of anything that's too wacko that it isn't already on Google somewhere. Yeah, somebody's thinking about it. But the Merlin prophecies of the actual Merlin are something we might want to cover in a different episode. That's not what we're talking about tonight. Yeah, this this can get confusing quick. There's There's more than one Merlin out there. This one is a computer program, right? Allegedly. Alleged computer yeah. program. This is... um. You guys have seen this website. You turned me on to it. Have you seen Word One on this website that even suggests that this is real? No. The, the, the main site, not only does it reference that they're on coast to coast, but it's trying to sell this thing called a Light Force 9000. Soothing relief for muscle and joint pain. <laughs> it uses and light got... emitting diodes, otherwise known as LEDs, <laughs> to generate heat to relax your muscles. 
Let, let me it's explain. FDA approved. Let me explain what this is to the fans, okay? Uh, a long time ago, me and Andrew were listening to Coast to Coast, and they they had a guy on talking about this Merlin software. And what it is, it's a program that he, the scientists have developed somehow that Allegedly. combs the internet, supposedly, looking for trends. And it takes these trends and puts them into their fancy logarithms and makes predictions and prophecies out of them that they claim are very accurate. Now, um, you, Andrew, time and, and Sean <laughs> spent enough, you know, actually took the, the time to read this 25-page synopsis or whatever it is, this 25-page dissertation available on their site. I read everything they made available for free. And it and uh, I'm gathering from your reaction that you don't think that this is on the up and up. I am going to go so far as to say not only do I not think that the Merlin software predicts a future – I do not believe that the Merlin software exists. <laughs> yeah. I have not heard, and I have combed this site. Like, I'm literally looking at the main page trying to sell you the Light Force 9000, <laughs> which is essentially a flashlight you're supposed to rub on yourself. Interesting. It's FDA approved because the FDA does not apparently care if you rub a flashlight on yourself. Approved? How is it approved? It's enough. Well, because it, it doesn't hurt you. Because it's not, it doesn't do anything. Just because it's it not disapproved, nothing. that means it's the approved. The only thing the FDA is looking at is to make sure you're not poisoning yourself. If someone sells you rat poison and tells you it makes you travel through time, well, the FDA not just that though, but they also are are supposedly checking to see if it does what it supposed what it says it does, right? Well, this does what it says it does. It says it heats well, the muscle. It's, it's well, yeah. All it says it does it says it helps relieve temporarily. Which it does. It's like a muscle. seventy-five dollar, you know, hot pack. Oh. It's just a hot water bottle. It does the same thing. So the it site have a is name selling like Light Force Nine Thousand. Is what you're getting at. That's the main page. That's the home page. Yeah, that's like the first whole. Yes, yeah, the entire page. I had to navigate this site for a while to make sure it was what you guys were talking about, and the only way I knew for sure is because they're talking themselves up for being on coast to coast. But the main site is my favorite because the first image is like this time track, which is a registered copyright term of the Merlin people. <laughs> the time track of how the world is going to end, and it literally is just showing you like. Basically, like little zeros with hats, little asterisks too, and then <laughs> and then after 2012, oh, there's only apparently two guys left on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> so and there's a big gap between 2011 and 2012, though. There's nothing. So they say <laughs> that 2012. Like, I don't is know what trends end. that they are looking at that they got this, but this is literally the name of this is in times. That's the name of the image, and it's like it's all here irrefutably if you look. Like there's. Right here in 2010 and 2011, there's about a hundred of these little little zeros with hats. By about 2012, <laughs> there's only about nine of them. Zeros By 2013, there's only like two, and after that, nothing. So I don't know how you can argue with this irrefutable evidence that we've put forth that clearly times are going to end. We are going to run out of little zeros with hats. My favorite, and then I read your I read the 25 page dissertation on how it works and uh, is that in the scientific basis or no that's how the future that's happens a, yeah. that's a different link scientific basis is something else <laughs> scientific basis cracks it has me a up. couple of equations this an equation that makes no sense at all like this <laughs> yeah. dr george hart who is supposedly a star wars physicist on that 
actual like Star Wars program, the the, the missile missile defense system, the one that didn't exist, the, their scientific basis, and he puts forward this ridiculous equation about how I don't know digital information relates to like communicative skills or whatever. Once it's the digital law, information divided by, yeah, divided the by. <laughs> <laughs> equals the constant. This is the, law, what, the first law of informational kinetics, yeah. that's what it's called. Once the law is fully explored and quantified, it may be seen as more important in its impact and implications than Newton's law. Oh, surely. Like, of course, because, you know, it was the purpose of the equation in its creation was not to quantify something. Like, what do these little variables mean? First thing we're going to have to know is is what D stands for. That's going to be the first start. That's the biggest thing in any of this, because, I mean, you could just assume that they have a computer, that they're entering all the stuff into. They never but, uh, say how the thing works. Yeah, they they never say, they're saying well, we apply. It's proprietary. It's capturing a particularly, yeah, well they, well, they never say what kind of information they put into it. They don't say where, and they do personal ones too. Your time track registered. Oh yeah. They say, but they don't say what kind of information they get from you or anything. The time track library will crack you up because then it just shows you more of these graphics. If you see John Bolton's time track is equal to John McCain's because he has the same number of little zeros with hats. It's like they never say what kind of information they draw. And I read this whole thing about what you have to understand is information. Information comes down from the way we feel about things, and then it comes to the governments. Like, what is that on, on Team America, where he's like, yeah. and then the corporations, and then they intelligence. make Intelligence. <laughs> That's sort of, bad intelligence. <laughs> sort of, and what's what kills me about this, there is a point in this little paper where they start talking about the system that they use, like how it works, and it's all just literally – if you, I don't know if you've ever heard of scenario construction, like how it's basically it's mostly used in risk management kind of stuff, but it but it's basically project management. But it's where you try to take information and break it down so you can to some degree predict what you might want to look for, not specifically what will happen, but what you might want to look out for as far as opportunities and risks that might pose a problem to the project. And that's basically what they're talking about here. Like their three things are like fixed boundaries, which basically is an essential thing. The, the same thing as predetermined elements, which is what if you read – there's a book called uh, The Art of the Long View by Peter Schwartz. And he basically talks about the kind of abstract art of scenario construction, and that's one of his. The other thing they talk about is personal laws, which are like the driving forces – as far as the Schwartz model. And then the third one, what do they call it? They call it something like non-uniform time or something. Yeah, non-uniform time, which is basically critical uncertainties. I mean that's the, the, the basic three elements of any kind of scenario construction, no matter whose model you're using. Because you're going to take constants versus variables and add it against what it is you're trying to accomplish. Those are the three things. So the only thing this paper that they wrote even gets into is just basic project management that they've dressed up with a lot of self-help hoo-ha. And in 25 pages, they never once say what the hell they do. At the end, they start telling you how to fill out this little personal calendar life cycle astrology deal. What is the thing? There's something funny they say. It's something like we have a life-altering 
moment every 90 days or something <laughs> it's it's very because there's a, the, the the central thesis is that human beings have trouble dealing with their problems because every 90 days we flash back to the womb and we sort of relive the birth cycle i don't know why every 90 what? days but they go out of their way to say you know if, if you look at this you know you can compare that to actual cycles of you know, people and doctors' accounts and things that happened, but never once do they cite one single actual example of that. But what are what are the what are the charts? I mean, like when we heard it on coast to coast, what I assumed it what they explained to them there is that the charts like represent activity around that thing or. I guess within those 90 day, I could see if given that if that's what they use, then basically you've got a you've got. A website, you've got a program that builds cycles for every person based on every 90 days since the day they were born. But wouldn't that mean we all basically have the same time track? Every 90 days, like clockwork, things are going to go to crap. That's the time I don't want to make decisions because I'll make bad ones. I'm looking at their site now, and first of all, they don't have a proper URL. So what kind of computer software nerds don't have a real URL? <laughs> yeah, and it directs to accessbest.com. <laughs> and the website itself looks like it, it was clearer. made in like 1998. So I'm, I'm really... <laughs> it's like a GeoCities website. I know. I'm really surprised. These guys are on the cutting edge of software development, you know, revolutionizing. You know, laws. we're going to put Newton in his place or whatever, but... Yeah, okay, guys. You've, got, you've developed the law of logarithmic perception and apperception. Can they not predict a way to make a better-looking website? I'm not trying to be critical, but come on. They don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. Like, look at the chart, man. In 2012, it ends. We don't mess look, around. You can't be soaring through all that stuff in the middle of a time track session. It, it all comes down to pattern, yields information, yields intelligent, yields consciousness, okay? Tired of explaining this. <laughs> They're figuring that website technology will cycle back to 1998 <laughs> yeah. at some point. This is funny. You are there, sir. You can stop. Stop paddling. <laughs> You've hit ground. But Dr. George Hart, who is the fellow we're talking about here, like his the, when he's talking about the scientific basis, I love that it's even titled that because it's just complete nonsense. Because the C, C could mean communication, curriculum, culture, and collaboration all at once. The law can be applied to individuals, projects, or to the earth taken as a system. Quantization, yes, quantization, and optimization of C and the N, whatever it stands for, could be a fruitful research area for DARPA or foundations. Do you know what DARPA is? Yeah, we're gonna get into. Oh, yeah, you're you're there already, Andrew, and I appreciate that. Well, I know what it is but, too. Like, yeah, they know what it is. Every, you really? They talk about it on coast Everybody to coast. Everybody knows all the what time. DARPA oh, well, is. You coast to coast guys already. Any well, see, any DARPA, half respectable, well, you know, uh, uh, conspiracy person could tell you what DARPA is. Awesome. Well, we'll get into DARPA when we talk about the internet. You know, it's not a conspiracy, even though it's called the Internet Apocalypse. But when we do that episode, DARPA, because DARPA had a very specific role in the development of the internet. It's not a conspiracy thing at all. That's real. Yeah, the ARPANET the, was the progen- yeah. was the you know the the progenitor of of the internet, plain and simple. Well, they, yeah, they funded the whole thing at the beginning. Them they funded the Al Gore's workshop yeah. where he invented it. Yeah, his research. They de- they developed the law of pedagogy, which says do not conceal more than you reveal. 
<laughs> no, wait, say so that was George Hart as well. Sorry. Man, this site, I like, I'm looking at the How Future Happens link. I like how <laughs> at one. the end of each little air, you know section, they've got just random pictures of galaxies. Pictures of Saturn. <laughs> just, like, just random space pictures. Like, what does this picture of Saturn it's, have to do with anything exactly? Oh, it he just shows you that paper, we're, you know. A, he wrote like a 27-page paper called A Curriculum for the 21st Century that he purports to be an interactive exploration of the other half of the universe through pattern, information, intelligence, consciousness. And for another 27 pages, he rambles on randomly about wouldn't it be neat if we studied this? But never once, you know, for here, as a scientist, if you are writing, and hell, if you're just anybody writing a scholarly paper, the number one thing that you can have in it are citations, examples, proof. Quote somebody besides yourself, this is an editorial. Talking about well, that, in the future, you know, digital technology will be very important. <laughs> yes, this is well, true. Well, that's how you can tell. I mean, that's the first thing I did when we first heard about this a long time ago. And then recently, is that you just check the proof. And they have all these time tracks of all these people. And like, if you look at one like Barack Obama, it has like, it's activity. It's a lot of activity in 2007. Then 2009, there's a dip. 2008, there's a dip. You know, the getting elected president's not that much activity. <laughs> you know, it's like they don't make any sense. There's one for Peter Jennings, and he died like six years ago, and there's still activity going on. Well, well we're still talking just because he's him. dead doesn't yeah. mean that, you know, he's not out there. You know what I'm saying? Plus, you're not you're closing your scientific mind off to the concept yeah. of ghosts. Yeah. You're not understanding like and that's you I'm know not what sure you about. understand how science I think he works, makes Andrew. some interesting this curriculum paper he makes some interesting points about how the scientific community has to become more open minded to what has been up to now considered holistic I think that is a valid point but there's no science to his opinion about that and he actually goes off on a few people in the paper and gets a little you know you can tell he ha it, he really gives off the vibe of a guy that's been made fun of. And he yeah. names names in some places, going, well, you know, some people, Carl Sagan might think I'm stupid, but whatever, I'll kick his face. That's a quote. <laughs> I really think in the end, this is just like they're getting the Google search results and finding like the rankings of activity, and that's what they're doing. Well, this is, <laughs> this is numerology, isn't it? This is astrology. I think I heard yeah. someone on Coast to Coast doing readings of people, and they say the same stuff. You know, based on the time that you were born, there, there are good times and bad times to do things. There's an ebb and flow. I'm actually willing to believe that there's some possibility of truth there. Not necessarily science, and these guys are not quoting science of any kind. They're like, you know, yeah, when there's a full moon, everybody gets weird. Everyone knows that. It's a fact. Yeah, they mentioned somewhere in there that they'd like to prove astrology right. That may be. The first yeah. step would be some level of, of actual science. I mean, I'm, nah. I, I'm all for it. You know, if you think science should take a stronger role in looking at these other fields of study, I'm all for it. But, you know, I don't – being a person who is an, an enthusiast of this kind of stuff, I don't put any more weight in somebody else. I could have written this paper, literally. Like, in fact, I probably could have written it better because I can write editorial myself. They're, they're too busy shipping light forces. <laughs> yeah, really. Been selling <laughs> flashlights for 75 bucks a pop <laughs> at a $200 discount. One of their big success, successes on here, they call them hits or whatever, is that they predicted that Tiger Woods would be successful in golf. No. 
At what point did they predict that, though? Well, I mean, just recently, I was like, of course Tiger Woods is going to continue to be good at golf. He's not going to start being bad at golf. They, ex- they, they they predicted the lengthy and unexpectedly bloody aftermath of the Iraq War. Along now. with really? everyone else in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As, as did I, Merlin. <laughs> Save the computers. All right. See, awesome. I think, obviously, to me, you know, the rest of this sounds like a bunch of claptrap and hokum, but I think, to me, the obvious element here is that these guys supposedly developed this awesome software, and they don't once mention, even briefly or vaguely, what it actually does. And if I were a guy who invented a software that could chrome that that could comb the internet for interesting information and break it down, I would love to tell you how. And you'd because have a telling fancier you how website. doesn't make you able to build it. I know I was I can read in Wikipedia how a web like a search engine works. That doesn't mean I can design one. And basically, that's what search engines do too. You know, they look for trends. They look for uh, search engines will actually be the breakthrough to artificial intelligence. Well, that's what that's what Google does. They don't just when they do search results, they don't just search for keywords. They, I mean, you don't. Nobody even knows their algorithm either. But yeah, part of it is that they they look for the keywords, but they also look for the activity on that keyword the and then the links back to that keyword and everything. They're trying to teach the computer how to understand context. Yeah, and that's neat, but that's the beginning of the end. You know, as far as artificial intelligence, once you start teaching these computers what something actually means in a qualitative sense, that's the interesting bit. And it's these like, guys yeah. don't give me any indication that they've put anything into that. This guy Paul Guerquio, who I think for all the world actually wrote that "How the Future Happens" paper because he talks. In, incessantly about and then Paul Guercio had all these awesome revelations about stuff and crap and mm-hmm. he thought to himself it's like he thought to himself he's a futurist yeah I, I want to be a futurist and sit around and go, that'd be cool if um <laughs> well the cars futurism is an awesome sort of philosophy there's a there's actually a magazine called the futurist that's a lot of fun and that's what it's all just that guys who try to predict trends in, in technology. But they're based on up. facts a lot of the time too. Well, they, yeah. These people as don't is seem the future. Yeah. You know? The future has its basis in fact. And that's why these guys always crack me up. We need to be looking into the, the movement of the planets and things like that. It's like, yeah, that's true, but you have to give me something to go on to think. This and that, is all, and all that stuff may be true in the grand scheme and all that stuff, but I don't even think we can understand the technology to capture that data and those variables that would be in that real equation well, to test that theory. The idea of pub, about studying information that's out there publicly is interesting to me, but the concept that you could do anything useful in reference to a person when, you know, if you Google me, most of the hits that you're going to find are like, a, you know, a professional football player out there of the same name. You know, there are also Google hits that will refer to me and and a few of them, you know, in, in somewhat prominent places. But if you don't know the difference between me and him, then you're thinking this guy gets around. I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> you really are the most interesting man in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'm black. <laughs> and a football player. <laughs> Just to see what it feels like. <laughs> Just to see what it's like. Well, I'm exactly. disappointed. I'll say that just because when I first heard about this, 
it, it seemed almost plausible. I'm like, what a neat idea that there's the internet That's, is getting smart enough is. to to actually predict trends and things. I think if these guys, I think if MIT tried to do this, I think they could because basically what the Merlin software claims to do is essentially what a search engine does. You know, you got you've got internet spiders that go out looking for information on the internet. In in the broadest sense, they're just looking for websites so they can catalog them. But then you have search engines that go out and try to look for information based on not just keyword but context as well. If you started combining these elements, you really could develop something that went out and started looking for trends. I was watching a thing and I think we we talked about this briefly about where they had something that that looked at eye movement and then they would just flash a bunch of images in front of a person on the computer looking for a specific thing and based on the person's eye movement he sub you know if he subconsciously saw like in this case it was like a helipad then it would make a note of the the frame he was looking at when the eye movement happened and it would be able to go back and they were talking about how this was accelerating searchability because it actually was interacting with, you know, your body with the computer. And I was with, your, with your subconscious and all that. Yeah, and I thought how interesting and, and a little scary, but how interesting that that they were thinking on those terms. And that's what computers, you know, what they're developing. This site just sort of is kind of a sad illustration of people who are just barking out pseudoscience and think that they're still passing. Yeah, sadly, a lot of the coast-to-coast fare falls into this category. Stuff that's like, man, well, that would be cool if it was real, but too bad a bunch of flakes are just trying well, to sell they got, stuff. they got to cover four hours, seven nights yeah, a week. Yeah, not <laughs> to impugn coast-to-coast, but I, as I've listened to that show, I've sort of gotten that sense, too, is they're a little too, they're a little too happy to oblige that yeah, kind of no charlatanism. Doubt. Well, why don't they let us on there if they're, if they're looking for stuff? We, yeah, we really, can tell I'm a some minister. Stories. Yeah, and you're, you're a yeah. reverend. <laughs> I'm a reverend. We'll become Jedi ministers. And <laughs> I'm, a, we'll I'm a reverend of the universe of life. I want to be a ninja. Is there a place I can sign up and just become a ninja? <laughs> I don't know. Or do I actually have to learn how to do stuff? Like I think you still have to learn how to kick, but apparently it doesn't require <laughs> any skills to marry people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, then. So we close the case on that. Sorry, Merlin people, but come forward. Because while they're t- they're talking about, you know, they're talking about transparency in all their little writings, but then there's no transparency of process at all in this site of theirs. So big disappointment it's all on that. smoke and mirrors, my friend. Before, before we move on to our next weirdo tirade, maybe we should mention that our, our old friend David has, has written us back on the, on the subject of the sci-fi cliches episode that we did. Oh yeah. So he has some, some proposed cliches that his own list. So let's see. He says, vengeful, young looking female spirits in Asian horror movies. <laughs> Man, Asians love some creepy girls. I don't know if they're just terrified of women. I think you could actually find uh, an interesting societal, you know, subconscious meaning in this, that they're, they're really scared of young women. There might be a cultural element that we're not qualified to tap into, but, but but yeah, it's true. Well, there's not just scared of them because even all the anime or manga or whatever, they, they're all young women. They're all 12 year old girls with double D. Well, in some parts uh, of Asia, you know, there was like a growing trend of prostitutes who dressed up like schoolgirls. 
And um, Sean knows from reasons that we can't get into. Some people, yeah, they'll (laughs) they'll do certain things for a certain amount of money. But I do agree that um, they'll clean your apartment as well. Apparently, I heard from a friend. I'm not sure that's sci-fi. But I do agree that that, that in the horror front, well, it falls into horror. When we say sci-fi, I mean we leave we let anything genre will count. (laughs) This is a good one, and it's not specifically sci-fi, but it does match. He said the upraised fist to the face of a guy trying to sneak up behind the action star. Oh, like the backhand kind of thing, where you just throw your arm (laughs) up right with the back of your hand. I first saw this in Enter the Dragon, but it entered geekdom in the first Batman movie. Yeah, that's how (laughs) it cracks me up because they actually do it in the Wolverine movie, except it's like an elbow it's it's evolved into an elbow now but wolverine totally does it the gambit now an elbow i would believe could do some damage but a fist like that i don't know if it would actually knock anyone out in fact just knocking people out it's very difficult in real life to knock people out at all did we did we say that i think i would not want to get i think we did mention the the knockout yeah y'all you talked about it the knockout definitely the one punch knockout the one punch knockout is ridiculous. That grab the head and turn it slightly to break. The and neck now the die. the back fist is goes classically along yeah. with those. It really is because it's so. It's like I don't even need to look. I'm just gonna whoop out and I hit you instantly because well, that's how tough I am. It is badass if if you haven't seen it in a million other movies. All, what's funny is any badass and repetition becomes ridiculous. It's true. If you if a guy if you can tell a guy is doing something that he saw someone else do because he thought it was badass. Then you know that guy's a nerd. <laughs> like I don't know. You have to have your own original moves if you want to be a badass. That's true. Here's another good one though. Noisy explosions in space. Obviously, if the explosion is on the character's ship, there should be noise. But otherwise, yeah. I, but at the I've same had time, this argument with people over Firefly. Yeah. Because Firefly was the only sci-fi show I've ever seen where they actually made a conscientious effort to not do sound in space. And they always, that was neat for that. I loved it. They always found a device like they play music or whatever, so it wasn't you know out of place. But 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 also with that though, it was the way they shot the space stuff and all the action stuff was that documentary style, whereas that they had camera zooms and shutters mm-hmm. and all the stuff. It was meant to be like it was a yeah. real camera out in space. <laughs> that kind of bothered me. And it me. worked. I really enjoyed it. Well, it worked for that, though, but if you have, like, a steady... I mean, it's these nice sweeping shots through Star Destroyers and stuff. You need music. You need explosions. Well, I think in Star Wars, you know, you, your suspension of disbelief has gone this far. It'll make it the extra mile. <laughs> but I do agree, you know, to a point. Like, we, you know, in Star Trek, it's just explosions everywhere, and it'd be weird if it weren't. But in the case of Firefly, they made it work, so... I think it's also a matter of what kind of sci-fi you want to be. If you want any level of credibility, there are ways you could shoot it that it didn't draw attention to the fact that you weren't showing noise in space. Yeah, if you're like in the Serenity movie when they had the big space battle, they just put it sort of in the atmosphere of a planet, like in the upper atmosphere. So you had the explosions and stuff, and no one ever had to really explain space or not space. Because they had just, like, broken into the stratosphere of this planet. And that new Star Trek, they, they did it a few times at the beginning. Then after that, they're just like, screw it. But they did that one time where the people are dropping. There's no sound. The very first moment, I really, atmosphere, I really wondered if it, they were going to do a Joss Whedon in the very first moment yeah. of the Star Trek movie. Because it's, it's for effect, and it works. But it does. It's the very first time someone goes into space, and you wonder if they're going to go that that bold with it. Yeah, and the coolest part of it, I just like the one where they're dropping, and there's no sound. You just hear breathing, and then it slowly the sound starts to come in as they come to the atmosphere. <laughs> there was, That's a neat use of it. But then after that, I don't think they cared. 
Yeah, they were trying. They were making an action yeah. movie. You know, they they knew what they were after. Uh, let's see, Gray Aliens. That's his next one. We touched on this with Roswell, which is basically the same thing. <laughs> oh. Enough with those big-eyed, skinny, anal-invading aliens. The, I say so. <laughs> they're the Chihuahuas of alien species, and they need to go away. Those haunted haunted my childhood. Yeah, really. That's what. I'm tired <laughs> of your a, anal there's, invading, there's, sir. Oh, not the anal invading, but <laughs> when I was a kid, there's a movie called Communion. Oh lord, Christopher Walken. You it's a horrible movie. What's hilarious about that is Whitley Strieber in real life was a failing sci-fi writer, more or less, yeah. fi- of fiction. And, you know, he certainly, I won't say failing, but he certainly wasn't making a splash in the mainstream. And all of a sudden, he writes the same crap, and it's nonfiction, and he's selling them like crazy. He really tapped into something on that. That movie scared the bejesus out of me when I was a kid. Yeah, and it's stupid, so it's, <laughs> yeah. it has to go. Well, it's it's and they they keep it going, and then at the end, the aliens are in the ship, like with martinis or <laughs> with a party at the end yeah. of that when he like falls into the ship. So maybe Whitley Strieber actually went insane. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. There's a good one about that called Fire in the Sky that was based on a supposedly true story and they sort of try to keep it on more of a, a real plane. Yeah. That's a pretty good, if you're interested in alien abductions and kind of stuff, it's sort of played out now, but that was a decent movie. Uh, let's see. Human looking aliens or hume aliens. <laughs> hume aliens. I like that. Yeah. I like that because it isn't very clever. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. But it does work. It sort of, as a conjunction, works perfectly to describe these sort of like half-baked abominations of sci-fi movies. Most aliens on TVs are human with facial prosthetics and different skin pigmentation. While it is scientifically improbable that alien species would look anything like us, human aliens are cheap to produce. Yeah, well, they, they, everyone says that about the old Star Treks, that it was just like the forehead of the weak. Oh, they have the beards and stuff? Yeah, or, you know, never three eyes, never something difficult. This cost-cutting measure is often explained by the following cliché, that there was once an ancient alien race, now extinct, that seeded the universe with human DNA, thus explaining why humans are on every habitable planet. You know, well, you gotta imagine, in the 60s, they couldn't afford anything fancy. That, that as a device, was fairly clever. Now, where they have money, it's just lazy. In the new Star Trek movie, they had all kinds of weird-looking aliens. Sometimes they're off-putting. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't. In that, in, in that birth scene or whatever, I was kept looking at that one lady with the eyes. I was like, "Geez." <laughs> yeah, when they go to close up, like, "Yay!" I mean, she was just enough human-like to be like, "Oh, that's a person," and then you see her eyes, like, "Ah." Yeah, that's a dip into the uncanny valley. Yeah, yeah, it's too. It was too similar. <laughs> that's true. Oh, man. But that is funny. What was it? Oh, I sent you guys a link to this this Atlantis thing on YouTube. Yeah. If you can... I watched the first Speaking one of these. of this guy, that's exactly what that's about, <laughs> is that mankind was completely seeded by people who were from the exploded planet Lucifer or something. Oh, my God. There's if there's like twenty five of these and they're like ten they're like eleven minutes. They're so super like, long. One, one it's Saturday, like four and a half hours. I, I tried to watch them all and I couldn't make it. It was like I just had to stop. It was just like no, I can't. You're blowing my mind. No more. I don't need it. Then the unicorns came and they spawned the Bigfoot. 
Sasquatch led the way to the Loch Ness Monster. It was just too much, too much. But it's hilarious, man. And they say it, they say it just, they could not be more earnest in their explanation. This makes perfect sense to me. That's what you just stop after every sentence to just say that. This to me makes sense. It's a weird amalgam of like religion and it's everything. It's like it's, someone, it's everything. Someone it's every like mythology take... and religion mixed together. <laughs> and that's what makes it brilliant with <laughs> random things. What is because it's got a subtitle. It's like, you know, Atlantis time you know, to wake up. Wake up. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So if you're out there world, you know, if you just YouTube Atlantis, this is one of the first things that'll pop up, but just give it a watch, man. Maybe you'll have the chance to become clair-smelling. Yeah, that's that awesome. Was, they were clairvoyant, clairvoyant, clairaudient, clair-feeling, clair-hearing, and clair-smelling. <laughs> Just, so you guys don't know the actual scientific word for smelling? They were clair-olfactory. They smell everything. <laughs> they could smell the future. <laughs> I love it. I love anything where, like, Jesus is an alien, but then Atlantis comes into play or whatever. I mean, it goes on. It's the whole future of the universe. So clearly, you know, it's it's understandably long. It, it really, it, it combines all these, like, had, like, the hollow earth thing in there, too. These people come <laughs> and live in the core of the earth, and then they have these angels, which are actually the aliens, but then they, it's weird. Nothing's left <laughs> out, man. I haven't got to the end, so I can only assume that they're going to, you know, they're going to make it to, like, the lizard people in the Doom planet, you know. I'm sure the Anunnaki and the Nibiru are going to make an appearance. But I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the more we've listened to some crazy coast-to-coast before, but after five minutes, I couldn't even follow it. Oh, you got to keep watching, too, because the <laughs> visuals crack you up. Okay? They keep shooting all these, these, these like... Naked chicks painted blue on a cross for no reason. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I think. That's how I think. Like that's the the like the more weird and convoluted your mythology gets, it's like directly proportional how much BS it is. I think. Well, I like the idea. I got the sense that they just handed this audio to some guy. Use your imagination. He's like <laughs> the voice talent on that. I'm thinking blue chicks on the cross. Whatever, whatever feels right. We're telling the story of the Lord. He's got weird star Davids and onks painted on her and all this stuff. <laughs> that is the best ever. And that's when the lizard people created Hitler. <laughs> Haven't made it that far in human history yet. I just like that the planet was named Lucifer. That's the one that blew up. In- well, I've heard that before. <laughs> it reminds me of Battlestar Galactica, yeah. the original. Does oh, Lucifer Lord, mean like funny. morning star or something like that? Bringer of light. Bringer of light. That's well, so that for means that makes sense for a planet. But well, that's go, why he's yeah. also called the morning star. Yeah. Sometimes. Okay. Well, go ahead. Uh, let's see. This is a good one. One of David's dinosaurs, just in general. T Rexes yeah. have made more visits to sci-fi than King Arthur, and on this, he is true. He is speaking truly. I cannot give him this yeah. next one, although I do admit, on in principle, that he's right. Female-looking robots or computers with feminine voices that fall in love with their human male creators. This is the essence of geek love. It's like a nerd fantasy. He could not be more correct. Yeah, I mean, that's... I I fully believe that all nerds study computers because they believe it will lead to this technology. That's why I do it. That's why I do it. That's why we do what we do. Well, let's face it, that's the goal, people. (laughs) 
In the meantime, this is what I have sex with. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a toaster with a face painted on it. Yikes. Not, I, I'm not making, don't judge me, I'm not making excuses. All right. <laughs> he also recommends, that's his list, but he, he recommended very quickly that maybe to watch a Lord of the Rings fan movie called The Hunt for Gollum. I've heard of this. Which is apparently like 40 minutes long. Have you seen any of this? He says that he watched a little bit of it. He said it was pretty decent. I have not watched. It. I have heard a lot about this. Yeah, we we tried. I tried to watch it when it first that, and it would never work. It said these people. I guess they made it based on like the appendices or whatever about like Aragorn and Gandalf searching for Gollum, and it looked kind of interesting. And the effects are neat. And they shot it for like three thousand dollars or something. But three thousand dollars yeah. for a fan. Well, film. they got a lot of free, yeah. uh, free labor on that. And apparently, the people that worked on it, a lot of the labor they got were actual film professionals who provided well, I guess professional they're just trying gear. To showcase. And stuff. It's a good thing for your reel, I guess. Yeah, that's basically what they were. I actually heard these guys, the guys that did it. They were on um, NPR. Actually, it was the BBC, and. Um, they were talking about it, and that's what they were saying. They're like, you know, we wanted something to get a lot of attention, and we were fans of the movie and stuff. Apparently, from what I've heard, it looks a lot like the Peter Jackson production. That's what David was saying. He was saying the Aragorn and the Ian McKellen guys could like be their stunt doubles from the movie. So that's pretty impressive, they're, I think. They very closely resemble. I, I saw today that Guillermo del Toro is definitely directing the Hobbit movie. So you guys and the other, yeah, and the and other the, one, the, the sequel, the nebulous sequel that no one understands. And, oh, there's a, that'll be the hunt for Gollum, I think. The hunt for Gollum. Well, yeah, because <laughs> it's supposed to bridge the gap between. And I that think, and, and I think that's Rings. why, yeah, that's why, like New Line and a bunch of people got really pissed at this hunt for Gollum thing, and they're actually threatening and all this stuff to sue them and stuff. <laughs> and funny. I think that's because this this next it's you know this thing they're making up is that. Oh, that is funny. That's too funny. Why would they be upset about if it? If you're actually threatened by a fan film, then you're doing something wrong. If that's if that's threatening to get more of an audience than your movie. Or the fan film's doing yeah. something right. I guess well, they're the on PC, definitely so. doing something. As a fan film, if you get noticed in any context, you're doing something right. Oh man, that's that's too funny. Let me throw in one real quick. Another cliche. I don't know if this happens as much as it seems to happen in my head, but you know, in the old action movies, and this is more of an action movie thing, but the old action movies with Clint Eastwood, the westerns, and in Dirty Harry and stuff, he always had like a cigar or a toothpick that he'd be chewing on while he talks. And I guess at the time, it's like, okay, he's tough, that's tough. But like in that god-awful um, Blood Rain 2, whatever, when she's in the Old West and she's killing the Billy the Kid vampire, she's got a toothpick mm -hmm. that she's chewing on and she's constantly talking tough with. And it just seems, what a cliche. What a horrible cliche. Well, like, you want to soft defense, tough? though, she's a, she's a vampire, right? I mean, toothpicks are more important to them because they're eating raw people. What? <laughs> so she's, she's just trying to keep blood, it, you know, not... keep her teeth clean. Yeah, I think any anything that they do for their dental hygiene is a plus because they're always doing gross things with their teeth. I just man, it bothers me when you um just to see. Maybe the if she were chewing on a toothbrush to be tough. Like, does that look? <laughs> that would be awesome. Or flossing. <laughs> a little bit of floss hanging out of her mouth. That'd be awesome. <laughs> we're just turning, they're trying to talk tough and just flossing the whole time. Like you've like, got this is something really disgusting. Ooh, this is awkward. <laughs> 
<laughs> this should, I, we, I should, you shouldn't be doing this in front of me. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable with this. That's uh, hilarious. So I'm going to add that. I don't know if that's something that really does happen often or not in sci-fi cliche, but it, it ha- if it happens once, it's too often. That's how I see it. I think it's the Fred Williamson rule, you know. He's the one who did that, that chawing on a cigar, he's not even smoking sort of thing. Yeah. That was in Hellboy, too, wasn't yeah, Hellboy chaws on some half-smoked stogies. He smokes it sometimes, I guess. Yeah, but. he actually did light it, but but yeah, he was definitely that, just chewing the cigar. It's like an accessory and, to show and how of tough course, you are. Yeah, Howard the Duck did it too, you know. Well, so. he's the one that started it, right? Forget, forget yeah, Clint Eastwood. He was, he was a trailblazer. You can get that on DVD now. I will. You will, and no one else. I will. <laughs> like, we sold one uh, of them. Netflix has their only copy. Yeah, we sold two copies, one to Netflix and one to Sean. A Netflix <laughs> only, a lot of people only watched rented that, that on once. video just for the sake of it. Howard the Duck. It's got its own <laughs> theme it came song. out in like the 80s too, so it's like everything. It hit like right in the middle of the 80s. So not only is it Howard the Duck and just weird, but it also has all the worst conventions of 80s movies. But it, with a budget, so it has all these like big special effects. Man. That's awesome. I'm just saying, if I were Blood Rain, if I were a vampire, the last thing I would want in my mouth when I'm about to fight is a miniature wooden stake. Someone can just knock that right <laughs> down your throat. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure just a tap, and this sometimes bothers me, like Buffy will do this too, where they'll like stab a vampire with a pencil or something. I'm sure just a nudge of wood can't do it, can it? Well, and you can't break just somebody's splinter of wood? sternum or whatever with a pencil pencils aren't that strong well i guess you don't have to break through their sternum you i gotta mean, get to their there, heart i mean right? there are spaces between the well, there's spaces between the ribs there aren't there the sternum isn't full solid the whole way i don't know man even going through muscle with a pencil i don't know we are i know you're talking about y'all keep talking about i am legend but i read that book <laughs> and in that in that in that actual book i, I guess it's more interesting because he's figuring out he's just like a normal dude and he's figuring out how to kill him and he finally figures out that because he stakes a lot of them down and he just thinks it kills them because they don't do anything. But what he realizes is that once he pulls it out and their blood gets exposed to the air, that's how they just shrivel up and disintegrate. Well, if that's the case, all you got to do is make them bleed. There's lots of ways to do it. You don't need a wooden stake for that. Well, this is just this movie book. Nonsense. Well, that's what I it congratulate is. you for being the only person who's read that book so far for all the for all the talking back and forth we've done over it's the only, many it's movies. only it's really only like a little short story. I mean, like a novella. It's I need to get really it really short because I got a whole book that said it was that, and then I was like, I'm I'm halfway done. It's like over. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was anticlimactic. Yeah. Oh man, I'm right now. I'm preoccupied with the dual role of reading Pride and Prejudice and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. <laughs> How are you reading both? Are you reading just one and well, then the other? With the help of LibriVox, I have downloaded the audio version of Pride and Prejudice, and I'm listening to that in my car while reading Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, so I'm trying to keep up on both. That's got to be confusing. Not so much as you'd think. Really? Kudos to you, They're sir. They're on a similar plane. You know, Lynn has already read it, so so I, I feel like I have to hurry. That's exciting morning listening on the way to work. Yeah, probably. Uh, well, I was listening to the Origin of Species, so it is, it is an up well. now. <laughs> awesome. LibriVox is awesome, but but yeah, sometimes like man, I could not make it through Dante's Inferno. I'll tell you that. 
I found that to be overrated. It, but Paradise it's a Lost tough was read. awesome. But LibriVox.org, if you get a chance, is a, is a wonderful resource Said for like, just free. Just free audio books? Yeah, because they're books in the public domain, so they get people to volunteer to do readings. Are the people and, good quality? I mean, are they good like voice some, actors? Or It's a crapshoot. Do they do the like the the professional voice acting thing of like doing the narration and doing the character voices, or do they just read it? Depends on who you get. This the girl who is reading Pride and Prejudice, this Karen Savage, is actually very good, and and it feels like a professional audiobook. But you know, part of the reason I turned Inferno off was the the reader of that particular canto was just so atrocious i'm like i can't do it i haven't been into this the whole time i cannot it was literally like, and they did the thing with the stuff it was like <laughs> listening to emo <laughs> like somebody you know it's weird how you get like people who think they have a theatrical voice and they think that there's a weird cadence to poetry and there really yeah. isn't and i was like and then we did the thing and uh, like oh my lord you need to start doing books as Sir Sinjum. Just send them in. <laughs> Why did that? This is, that's what you're good That's an awesome here. idea. Yeah, you really brought it on that. That sounds like an awesome pride and prejudice. <laughs> Except I should just pick some ridiculous book. No, man. Find out if yeah. that one book is on public if domain. Slaves of yeah. Heaven is in yeah. public domain. Just Surely. do that book. How awesome would they that be? They do have a thing to volunteer as a reader, and they clearly don't. You know, they clearly aren't discerning at all. Well, I mean, they can't really tell you not to do it if you want to right, spend your time. You know, really, they, I've given some of the readers, and most of them are really good. Like, most of the people really do have good voices for it, know what they're doing. But every now and then, they'll have, like, someone who whistles their S's or something. <laughs> just, hey, I've got a lisp. Come on. Or I'm not, What are you picking on? I'm not talking about a lisp. I'm like, every S is like... <laughs> like the guy in Family Guy, the old man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Equally irritating. Treasure Island was sort of a minefield, but I made it through. But most of the people, like I listened to Moby Dick, which is a very long book, and it was the same reader all the way through, and he did a very good job. So it's, so it's different readers for each chapter? Some books. Moby Dick was the same person. So far, Pride and Prejudice has been. But yeah, it seems like especially in the early days, you would get like every chapter a different person. And that really weighs yeah, on Yeah, that's you. very confusing. Well, it's not just confusing, but it's also uncomfortable because you get comfortable with the cadence of a certain person's voice. And then you switch to another person where their recording quality is not necessarily as high and their voice isn't necessarily as good. It makes it difficult to get through a book. Yeah. I think LibriVox now is concentrating more on getting people who will commit to the entire book. But I think especially in their early days, they were just happy to get any kind of volunteers. But this Pride and Prejudice that I'm listening to is like version three. So they version one might have been a different reader every chapter. Or like a guy in New Jersey or something. <laughs> you know, that would that'd be pretty funny. Anything that pays affinity to cunning is despicable. <laughs> but I have to say the girl who is reading this is making it enjoyable because she she seems to have a good feel for the book. And, you know, I'm not a Jane Austen fan. I've never read Jane Austen. But, you know, it is sort of – it's all about language and wit. And so, so it's, zombie, it's – Zombies brought you to Jane Austen? Yes. So whoever wrote that book, uh, this uh, – Seth Graham Smith did a good job in that because he did kind of make 
it accessible. <laughs> you start going through all the classics and adding zombies. Yeah. Well, see, it's sort of brilliant here, but at the same time, sometimes it doesn't. It, it feels like it's almost lazy because the zombie moments, aside from a rare reference here or there, it's mostly just Pride and Prejudice where every now and then there's a zombie scene. There is a good scene where zombies take over the ball at the beginning and all the girls have to kill them. It's pretty awesome. Is there any explanation <laughs> to like why they're – are they just As, just part of their well, world the that they're zombies and they're just accepting of it? Well, at the beginning of the book, the zombie plague has been going on for years. So it really it's, – it's almost like – it's almost satirical in that high society has sort of just learned to move on. Have you ever seen that, like in a movie, like like the 18th century and 17th century zombie movie? No, it's a brilliant idea. It really is. You always have vampire movies of all that stuff, and they're all in their ruffles and stuff. But zombies in that time period would be interesting. There's a great moment at the ball where the zombies attack, and the do- and the father just calls out to all the daughters, and he's like, "Girls, pentagram of death!" And they all like <laughs> form like this star formation, pull out daggers. <laughs> so I can see how Pride and Prejudice and Zombies would be a very awesome movie. How strange. So tell me about this Kryptos, because this is, to me, much cooler than that that other nonsense was. Because it's real. This was kind of a neat. You sent me that link today, and I think it's kind of neat. Yeah, Kryptos is like, it's a sculpture that was commissioned by the CIA for their Langley campus, I guess their headquarters. And they wanted, I guess they wanted uh, some kind of installation or something. I don't know if they specifically wanted something with a code on it, but they wanted something that was only for the eyes of their employees. And so this guy named James Sanborn, and he worked with another, like an old, a retired crypto, like a, whatever you call it, cryptologist. Cryptologist. Code maker. But, but it's interesting because we were, we were watching the little Nova package about it, and I just, I, I had read it, and I thought that the, the guy had helped him and just did it for him. But really what the guy did is he just taught him the basics. And then this artist actually made this code that's like the only uncrackable code in the world. Yeah, and apparently what I was reading in the link that you sent is that like these CIA analysts just for fun kind of tinker with this code. And there's several parts to it and they've got some of it, but but still like it, it's it's mostly uncracked. Yeah, there's four sections of the code altogether, and there's the first, second, and third one have been decrypted, but the fourth one, nobody still knows what it is, and it's like for 20 years now, they've been trying and to The messages crack this. are very and supposedly strange. the earlier ones give you clues as to the later, like you have to crack two if you want to get four. Yeah. They give you linguistic clues, I guess. Read us what they say, the ones that have been cracked, because to me, they're very creepy right. and strange. Well, the first one, the solution one, is just one sentence, and it says, Between subtle shading and the absence of light lies the nuance of occlusion. And so it's just, and some some translations said illusion, but... How, and I the, mean, the that, third that's one is just saying, um, that's weird. And the third one, the second one's an interesting one. The third one is just like a excerpt from Howard Carter's account of opening... King Tut's tomb. Which I think is weird because it sounds very ominous. And then when you find that out, you know, the context of it, it, it makes it yeah, more and interesting. Yeah, and that's really neat. And that's, it, yeah, it's the little passage is really kind of cool. But the second one is the strange one because it's, it's like some kind of weird X-Files sounding thing. Because it says, it was totally invisible. How's that possible? 
They used the Earth's magnetic field. The information was gathered and transmitted underground to an unknown location. Does Langley know about this? They should. It's buried out there somewhere. Who knows the exact location? Only WW. This was his last message. And then, it's, then it has actual latitude and longitude coordinates. And supposedly that, like, the points, it's like on the other side of the courtyard. Yeah, that's what it's so saying. It's like can, 200 feet away, are these, these yeah. coordinates. How? And nobody can investigate it because he can't go. Because it's in Langley. But, you know, W.W. was like the guy who was the head of the CIA at the time. Right. They did this. And supposedly he's the only other one that he told the solution to, I think. Yeah. But according, I'm looking at the Wikipedia, Wikipedia and, and he later said that, no, he didn't. Yeah, that's yeah. But then he did say he told someone so that if he should ever yeah, die, from what I understand, William Webster, that's WWE. He has a family member and his girlfriend. They don't know the solution, but they have the solution the is K fourteen. Yeah, the or solution something. is actually in a deposit safety deposit box. They have this 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 like a form that if someone thinks they've solved it, they go through. It's a test, and they give them a test. They say, okay, what is the seventeenth letter? What is the fourth letter? And the, of the answer, and and they check it against what they've got, and if they pass all the tests, then they go open the deposit box and see if the answer is correct. That's if the artist is dead. If the artist take, you know, right. if the artist is alive, then he just says yes or no, that's right or not right. But and supposedly the whole thing, each part is a clue. In the fourth part, they all go to the fourth part, but then all together, they're all a riddle together, which could mean something else completely. So it's funny. It's clever. It would be – it makes me wonder, like, surely the CIA guys have to know what this code – like, somebody at the top because this guy could have put, like, anything there. You know? Yeah. I find it hard to believe that the CIA doesn't know what's on the sign outside their door. Well, supposedly in a couple articles they were saying they are wondering if there's other clues around the campus, like in inscriptions and things, kind of Da Vinci yeah, Code inside style. inside the building. The Jones style. The X marks <laughs> the spot. It, it was only meant for the CIA employees, so they're the only ones that could see other clues. Maybe in, like, the men's room or something. <laughs> I think it's a very clever idea because it kind of helps to keep people sharp, having this, this idea that there's an ongoing adventure around the office. I think it sort of keeps them sort of excited in their jobs. I mean, how, yeah, how neat is that? I would totally be into that if there was something at my work like that. Oh, yeah, if I were a crypt, you know, if I were a cryptographer, yeah. But that... Like, for us, the, we have no hope of ever understanding any part of this. But if I were, if I were a code breaker, what does the third one say? The one about the from Carter or whatever. What does it say? It, it just says slowly, desperately, slowly. The remains of passage debris that encumbered the lower part of the doorway was removed with trembling hands. I made a tiny breach in the upper left-hand corner, and then widening the hole a little, I inserted a candle and peered into the hot escape, hot air escaping from the chamber. Caused the flame to flicker, but presently details of the room within emerge from the mist. X, you can see anything. X is just is, yeah, yeah. Spaces. Can you see anything? Because there's actually a thing where he omitted an X, and people were translating it wrong, and he had to go correct them because he had omitted like a space that was making them think that the code was different than it we'll was. Well, see, yeah, yeah. The last thing is from his Lord Carnivon, who that was his. He says, "Can you see anything?" And his answer was, "Yes, it is wonderful." But that's not in there. If you if you look at that in relation to that other one, he's saying that there's something buried, and do they not know about this? Yeah. How can it be invisible? You know, the Earth makes you think there's like a crashed UFO or something buried under Langley. It sounds exactly and like then, that, but 
you know, this, this is like somebody finding it, you know, yes, I've seen, you know, I've, I've seen, what do you see in there? Something wonderful. Sounds like a transmission. It reminds me of a Christmas story where he gets the decoder ring and he's so excited and then he decrypts the message and it's just be sure to drink your overteen, you know? And he's like, so disappointed. If you're going to make a massive weird, you know, code, it can't be something dumb. You have to like have a bunch of weird stuff. Like it has to be a riddle that's interesting even once you've translated it. But uh, I don't know. It, if you see pictures of the artist guy, you, you tend to think that it's, you know, probably not that interesting because he looks like a real normal dude. But at the same time, there's something really creepy and interesting. It it, it, it does lend itself to adding the mystery to, to Langley, to the CIA, thinking there's well, something think weird smart. going on I out there. I think that's a they they have not only this code that's that's pretty much unbreakable but it also hides this pretty interesting sounding riddle but it's kind of inviting so it, it, when you do encrypt decrypt part of it, it it excites you because you think wow this is such a neat thing like when i first heard that passage 3 i was like whoa that sounds awesome and then they're like yeah that's part of how carter's account I was like, oh. yeah that's what i thought yeah, too but it's you know, and then contextually it still works it still sounds cool because he's saying you know well and it's, and it's still neat that that's a great what discovery it is, out like here when you're reading it you're like what the hell is this makes me want to find uh, howard carter's memoir now and read that I wonder if that's in print. I wonder if the Tomb of Tutankhamun is in print still. That sounds like a pretty cool book. And so supposedly this is like Dan Brown's next book. No, oh, it's based on this. Man, he just takes everything <laughs> oh, cool and makes a million dollars off of it. Ruins it. Robert Langdon will be going to the CIA. He just steals. He everybody. totally steals people's I heard ideas. That he wrote Angels and Demons before the Da Vinci Code, and then dressed up the same book with that Da Vinci stuff when he found that stuff out, but it's basically the same story. That wouldn't surprise me. I don't know. Because I heard that. It bothers me that he just takes things that other people have done all the research on and he just, you know, makes some kind of murder thriller out of it. He's sort of brilliant that way because he doesn't have to do any of the actual smart thinking stuff. He just has to write a pretty formula mystery story. Yeah. And dress it up. Maybe I'm just mad because I'm not doing it, but... I, I don't know. I have a I have this this enmity towards contemporary writers that is uh, that is a downright prejudice. So I'm <laughs> I'm not to be trusted in my opinions. Although my opinion of him is quite low. His writing, I should say, he's perhaps a fine fellow. At any rate, I'm really I don't know. I I I, I don't like thinking about conspiracies and stuff. But I'm really starting to wonder about something. That that's gonna well, this come thing out being right out in the open. That it's right there, like a hide in plain sight kind of mystery makes it exciting. But the only thing that I, I think the same thing too. I get so excited about stuff like this, but then you have to think that it's this artist guy that did this. Yeah, it's a sculptor. I mean, would they tell the sculptor like highly classified? Well, maybe secret. You know, maybe he's just a front. Maybe he didn't, because to me it seems unlikely that That's they true. taught some artist how to do a crypt, uh, you know, some kind of hidden message, and he's he makes one that no one can break. You know that that yeah, that is true. They taught him rudimentary code writing, and he wrote an unbreakable code, and he's not on the payroll. I, start, I wonder if they. They they make the yeah. story up that he's doing that, but really it's somebody you know behind yeah. the scenes who's trying to get a message out somehow. I don't know. Well, it's 2012, and then it's all about the Anunnaki. Man, you guys laugh, but I'm I'm really starting to wonder if there's not something to all this um, alien nonsense. 
Well, to what part of it? Something. Well, the, no, that there's a, a possibility that aliens have had influence on humanity in the past. No, I think that's. I think that's possible. And that. Well, I'm not disregarding the possibility. Certainly. The, 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 the cultural mythologies of every major civilization seem to be strangely similar in that respect. But then maybe that's in human nature to reach out for something greater than themselves, and of course that becomes an element of the story. Well, perhaps. I'm just thinking that, that there are gaps. Or maybe there's a real God and you need to stop applying science to it. How about that? There's gaps in human history <laughs> that are hard to explain, technologically and such. And I... I I don't doubt that it's possible at all that there could be other civilizations out there. What I find interesting is how all these things, as hokey as they seem to be, they all do seem to be kind of culminating in something. Like there is some kind of truth that some people are aware of and they're trying to drop hints to us, trying to prepare us for it. You know, like they don't want to spring it on us, but they it's it's coming. So we need to kind of gradually mm-hmm. get people I'm used to it. I'm not sure I believe that. The, that's like the last year the British government. Remember, they said they'd start releasing their UFO yeah, documents yeah. over the next four years, ending in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that last one's going to be the real page turner. What, what a great yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's we've the solution to cryptos. It's going to be that Dave Chappelle scene that we've known this the whole time. <laughs> it's just Morgan Freeman. That's right. Magic does exist. I mean, I think that you know, I think that we'd be foolish to just dismiss this as as nothing but nonsense just because a lot of the people that believe in it are a little bit nonsensical it's just like this george hart this paper that we were just talking about this curriculum the thesis if there is such i can agree with the basic idea that we should keep our minds open to to the fact that we clearly don't understand everything about the way the world works i totally agree with that even to the point that yes could there be aliens? Sure. Could there be ghosts? Sure. Could there be more to the human mind than we've unlocked? Certainly, I hope so, because it doesn't seem like we've we've got all the good stuff out. I'm hoping that we haven't reached our potential. But to subscribe to a specific, you know, it's like critical thinking. Where one of the rules of critical thinking says to avoid, you know, making prescriptive arguments. Like you you judge your your material, you take your evidence. But don't at the very end say, and therefore we must do this, because that's where your argument fails. When you're reviewing facts and when you're looking objectively at what you see in front of you, that is where you're strongest in, in what, you're, what you're doing and how you're thinking. But when you apply that to what you think you should do or an action you should take, you instantly negate all of that objectivity. And I think that's what's happening with all these conspiracy theories, like the Atlantis thing. It's like they just basically culminated every weirdo idea in the world in this brilliant sort of mythology. And that's awesome, but what if any part of that were true? You've killed all of it by dressing it all up like this. It's kind of a shame that that the flakes out there latch onto these things. So they're the early adopters of this kind of stuff so that – it gets dismissed it very something. easily when in reality there mm-hmm. may be something to it. I think there is something, but I don't think anyone's tapped onto it. That's there's a hide in plain sight theory to you know, idea to conspiracy theories too, because you can't hide the truth, but you can obfuscate it in a in a cesspool of nonsense. 
Because if it's already out there and you can't destroy the truth, then what you need to do is send out a million weirdos yeah. saying something very similar. Mm-hmm. And then and it, it doesn't it matter if you've heard like the truth or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's the brilliance of it. So I, I've got my eyes open on 2012. I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction. I think a big mothership's going to come down and they're going to, you know, hand out popsicles or something. What's and that? come down and say, suck. <laughs> I like What's going on? I like the idea. I'm out. <laughs> I have, I'm going to go so far as to say in regard to 2012 that it will happen. Yeah. It is real. And we're going the to have to. The day will fa- come. Yeah. We're going to have to face that reality. 2012 is coming. So get ready. I mean, that's just math. Well, that's it. No more prophecies after that. If nothing happens that day, that's it. Yeah. I wish. Yeah. That's the rule. Okay. I will right now start doing whatever the crazies say in preparation of 2012, whatever it is, for three years of my life. If, when it happens, and not one thing comes to pass, you guys shut up forever. That's the deal. I'll give you three years, and if the world doesn't end, I want you to be quiet forever. But that's not even true because I like the crazies. Yeah, it I like makes all their weird makes ideas. Very interesting talk. It's interesting to think about. Yeah, it provokes, I think, real discourse. Like you know, crazy people talking isn't that isn't the actual conversation. That's what starts the conversation. What if Atlantis it's wasn't a man? Wasn't a continent or an island? It's a UFO, but it was like a man-made or, or alien-made, you know, construction. It was a. It was like a floating city. It was a UFO. And it took off. And it, you know, something happened and it sank or something happened and it took off or whatever. What if it was separated from other planets by portals? Let's call them, I don't know, Stargates. (laughs) (laughs) Man, you might be onto something. Perhaps some similar science that the ancient alien races may have devised. And passed down to the Egyptians and MacGyver. If we were facing something like that, I'd want to send MacGyver against it. Oh, yeah. Uh, he'd have my vote. Like, oh, sure, MacGyver. And then, and, and maybe John McClane, if you can afford him. All right, then. That That's – um. so Kryptos, that's pretty cool. I, I think that's Kryptos an interesting thing. One. You guys look that up on the on the, on the interwebs out there in, in TV8, My Dinnerland, and let us know what you think of that. That That's pretty dope. I think we need to return to this. We're starting to run on, you know, but I think we need – we get some more of these to cover. Yeah, we could hit. Do you want to hit the guidestones real quick? And that's something we can talk about well, more. I guess so, just because they're not interesting enough, I guess. They're pretty yeah. interesting. They're neat, but they're interesting, but not from a conspiracy theory. I don't think. Like a guy had a yeah. bunch of fancy rocks carved. How naive you are, sir. How very naive. <laughs> naive. You naive. probably think there should be more than 500 million people on the planet. Well, I guess you don't million. You don't consider the Illuminati an interesting conspiracy? Is that what's happening here? Are you dissing think, on the Illuminati? Did we, did we miss – they they somehow didn't end up on our list. But I think especially now that Dan Brown has tapped into them, that's the official milestone that they can be retired. It's a cliche. Well, they're behind everything, all right? So They're behind, they're behind everything, they, even Dan Brown. Yeah. <laughs> He was writing. He's just a robot. He was writing Goosebunk books before this. They're bigger than Oprah. <laughs> They're behind Oprah. They Oprah would be nothing without the Illuminati. Yeah, really. They yeah, tell exactly. her what books <laughs> to put on that Tyler list. Where do you think Tyler Perry came from? You think America loves Medea? 
You are wrong, sir. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something you else. Wrong. They make Coke and Pepsi just to play I'm off each it. other. I've been to the theater when every one of those movies was in the movies. I've never seen one person go to see it. Yet somehow, supposedly, they're all blockbuster hits. No. I say the nay. That's the Illuminati at work. So the Georgia Guidestones are cool because they're right in our backyard here. They're not literally that close. I mean, they're they're a drive, but I feel kind of remiss that I've never made the effort to go out there. We, actually. We've been saying this. We will do this. I know, I'm going to get you to do this because this, the reason we haven't talked about them so far is I've been wanting to do a field expedition. Yeah, maybe to see we these should. Georgia guys maybe stones. we should hold off on this yeah. and actually go out there and record while we're there because that would be neat. We've never done anything like that. No. Now we're on it. We can do some EVP work. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> now you're talking. We're going to take Andrew. Yeah. Now we are talking. We need our own shirts because we're going to videotape it. So we're going to need our own shirts like the Taps guys Are there have. any spirits out there? So, 90 more. I have a, I have some TV8 my dinner shirts. You guys are going to have to buy one too. <laughs> Man. And then we're all going to walk around in our a TV8 my dinner apparel. Can I just like write on a shirt with magic marker or something? I don't have a lot of cash. Okay. <laughs> we'll make some iron-ons. Sad. I'm not buying any more people's shirts. I already gave our Aussie friends the shirts. Yeah, you're buying people and in I other gave, continent I shirts. I gave Tracy a shirt, and I haven't even got a picture out of it yet. You know, I'm starting to see what's happening. Any chick walks in, you give her a shirt for free. Guys that are on the show, yeah. forget about it. I said that up front. <laughs> well, as long as you're <laughs> honest about it. it. We said chicks only, and we still ended up giving one to Ben. Well, he's a pretty guy. He's kind of like a model in his own right. He's an actor. He's an Aussie actor. He's up and coming. All those kids are going to get famous and then pretend they don't know us. Well, join the club. When they're making <laughs> kangaroo movies and stuff. But yeah, that's a teaser for you. We should do an expedition out to the Georgia Guidestones. I can't see where that wouldn't be fun because I do want to see them. I'm kind of scared of getting kidnapped by the Illuminati. Like You've, you've seen sure too much. Hanging out for publicizing this very farm. <laughs> Why would they make this thing if they didn't want us to go see it, though? You know, that's what I'm saying. They, they I'm made sure this they want monument. Us to go see it. Yeah, I'm sure you don't ha- put up 20-foot rocks if you don't want people to go see them. That's a lot of unnecessary work in my estimation. This is a way to get... We need to do this. Just <laughs> make some big rocks and put some weird vague inscriptions <laughs> on it. Man. And then <laughs> Yeah, just write weird stuff. You know how much it costs just to get, like, a granite countertop in your kitchen? I can't even. Uh. Well, see, what's sad is that's the truth. It's like, you know, we say we've evolved and we're so intellectually superior, but still the best way to get somebody to talk is to carve something on a rock. How much, how much does your legacy cost, Bricks? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Forget tombstones. We won't yeah. have them. Save that marble. Yeah. This will be Well, our here, tombstone. you want to take this full circle? That that just completes my argument against Facebook and things like that. People are worried about their <laughs> Facebook legacy. I'm like, carve yourself a monument, my friend. Don't worry about your Facebook legacy. Your Facebook profile on it. Yeah, put your Facebook profile, your likes and dislikes, your favorite Whatever movies. Whatever your quote is. Yeah, I'm looking for a relationship. Yeah, mood, quote, dead. I think there's some reality there because Status if you were dead. carving in stone, you'd be more careful. In Facebook, you'll just write anything. What are you doing right now? It's like if you had to carve that in rock, you'd be thinking about it. Yeah, I am carving of rock. Oh, God, that's all I wrote? Forever. In eight different languages. <laughs> oh, no. Someone's going to be translating that into cuneiform now? Yeah. That's a waste. 
That's why the guy who did that Langley sculpture had it. He figured it out. It's like, wait a second. These are Pink Floyd lyrics. Yeah. I think that last unsolved one is just nonsense. Like, it's non-solvable. It's just a bunch of random letters. (laughs) That's what they said. It could be be misspelled. Or it could just be nothing. Just to, you know, play with people. Oh, my God. How awesome would that be? What a terrible trick. I I devoted my life to this. How how could he do that? (laughs) Joke's on you. (laughs) <laughs> should have devoted your life to something important. <laughs> that's that's really the lesson here. All right, kids. I guess I guess we're running out of steam. Thank you for all of the have... uh, the emails we've been getting and things. I'm real excited yeah, about it. And uh, thank you, Andrew, David. for joining us. We'll have him on again. As cool. you know, you're welcome. Every now and then, because um, he's knowledgeable about these conspiracy type things about stuff. Yeah, about stuff and things and junk and crap. And junk. <laughs> Not so much the junk. Yeah. Yeah, that's Sean's territory. Yeah. He's got a PhD. Yeah, a pretty huge. You <laughs> <laughs> see where that's going. Okay. Yeah, pretty huge. So, um, you know what I'm saying? Feedback at TV Ate My Dinner is the email that you would use to send us ideas and comments Anything. and whatnot. And uh, next week, I think, I don't know what we're going to talk about. We'll get to that later. My name's Brooks. It's hard to say. Yeah, we're kind of all over the place. Well, I'm, I'm Sean. And I'm Andrew. Greg will be with us next week. And um, we imagine. We hope, if he hasn't been taken by the Illuminati. So uh, take it easy, everybody. This has been TV8 My Dinner. Don't forget to visit our forum at www.forum.tv8mydinner.com. Dog Crazy. Yeah,